Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott. Welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm here with a special guest, Megan Ello. Esther is not here with us today. She is handling a postpartum client, and we are so grateful for the work that she does, and we will miss her today. And before I introduce Megan, I want to remind everyone that we have a website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. We have resources. We have recordings of all of our episodes there. Uh, Please also log into iTunes if you're a listener there or Google Play and hit subscribe so that you can be notified every time we publish a new episode. Also on our website, you can sign up for our newsletter where you can receive updates from us via email in your inbox whenever we release a new show. So I am excited about today's topic because I've been wanting to have this conversation for months and Megan reached out to us. And we're so happy that she did. Um, We're going to be talking about the topic of postpartum OCD. So postpartum OCD is is a thing. (laughs) It wasn't something I was aware of until I started uh, researching and getting into the space and having conversations with people who had experienced this firsthand. So uh, I'm really excited to talk more about that and demystify the subject in general. Uh, Megan herself is a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Delaware, And she's been working in the field of mental health for nine years, working with children, teens, adults, and families. Her passion is working with women struggling with mental health concerns surrounding pregnancy, postpartum, and parenting. She has a small private practice called Nest Counseling and Wellness in Wilmington, Delaware, where she focuses on perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. She's a member and volunteer with Postpartum Support International. Yay! We love PSI. (laughs) Um, And she is a survivor of postpartum depression and postpartum OCD herself. She lives outside Philadelphia with her husband, her seven-year-old stepson, and her four-year-old daughter. So welcome, Megan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm so thrilled. Uh, You were saying you listened to our show on your commute. Thank you so much also for being a listener. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a little bit of like a kind of birth and pregnancy junkie. So I listen to all the all the podcasts about that kind of topic because I just can never get old for me. There's always something new. Absolutely. I, everyone's experience is unique and we obviously love the topic as well. And since you're a mom, we were wondering if you would share your own fourth trimester experience with us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I was finishing up graduate school. I was finishing my master's in social work. Um, And I had, you know, the genius idea to get pregnant during my last year of graduate school. And then (laughs) I would, you know, have my daughter and, and be, you know, take a maternity leave. And then I'd, you know, go on to the next step in life. And I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds like perfect timing. And um, obviously, you know, 
it, that was a horrible idea. <laughs> um, so I had a really, really rough pregnancy. Um, I actually had hyperemesis. Um, so I was really, really sick all the time. Um, and I was working and, as a therapist, a uh, counselor, and um, finishing up graduate school, um, which is challenging, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was really, really busy all the time on top of being really, really sick. Um, and just dealing with all the pregnancy stuff and appointments and, you know, aches and pains and things like that. Um, so mm-hmm. it was just very go, go, go during my pregnancy. Um, thinking like once I have her, like that will be kind of my rest. And um, I had my daughter in April of 2014. Um, and it was really hard at first. Um, I was very, very anxious. Um, and I'm not really much of an anxious person in general. Um, but I was, I was terrified all the time. Um, and so, you know, what started off with what I thought was kind of normal mom worries. And a lot of people were reassuring me of that. Um, Oh, you know, every mom worries about, you know, their baby, you know, not breathing and every mom checks on their baby to make sure that they're breathing. Um, and every mom has concerns that they might drop their baby Um, and so I thought, well, this is normal. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, it got worse and worse, uh, that I, I sought treatment a couple months later and really started this journey of discovering, um, that what I had was postpartum OCD, um, because what I had was not normal worries. Um, that I was having these intrusive thoughts about things happening to my daughter, Um, and it wasn't just a scary thought that would come and go. It was, it was all the time. Um, and it was really frightening to me. It was like a a horror movie that just wouldn't stop. And I think a lot of women, um, experience it like that. Like it's a really, really scary movie that you just can't turn off. Um, and so I would have thoughts of, um, dropping my baby down the stairs. Um, I would have thoughts that she would get hit by a car when we were crossing the street Um, I would have thoughts a lot of times of, um, her not breathing. Um, and so I wasn't getting much sleep because I was up all night, every night, um, Mm -hmm. checking on her. And, um, so I, after my maternity leave, I got a job, a wonderful job. Um, but I was working as a therapist for kids in the foster care system. Um, and specifically I was doing trauma therapy with them. So kind of some of the therapy that I was doing involved them saying their trauma narrative. Um, So I would hear the details of the stories that these kids experienced Um, and kind of that combined with my anxiety, uh, it got really bad. And so I would, I would go home and I'd have these nightmares of these things that I heard during the day in my work as a trauma therapist. And, and, but I would experience them like it was happening to my daughter Um, and so I'm sure you can imagine how terrifying that was. Um, and so I, it was just all the time, like a hypervigilance, um, you know, always like being jumpy that something was wrong. I, I had a really hard time leaving her. Um, I, I mean, I left her for work and had to leave her for work, but I wouldn't leave her for anything else. I wouldn't go to the grocery store without her. I would never get a babysitter. Um, and so that became difficult. Um, luckily, I found a really, really excellent therapist um, who worked with me. And we did a lot of mindfulness stuff and um, 
you know, worked on like yoga and things like that, that really helped kind of center me and calm me down. Um, and slowly but surely I, I got better, um, and got, you know, more into the zone as a mom and, um, my relationship with my husband and my stepson improved. And, um, you know, eventually a couple of years later when I was truly well, I was able to kind of get back and get involved with, um, postpartum support international, um, and now I'm a, a helpline volunteer uh, for PSI, which I just love doing. Um, and I hear all the time from moms that have kind of a similar thing where these moms, they have these terrifying, scary thoughts and they don't want to tell anybody. Um, and, you know, they finally speak it to us um, and I'm able to normalize it and tell them, yeah, I, I know that's postpartum OCD potentially. Um And I get it and it's normal and it's common and it's also really, really treatable. Um, And I think there's a lot of people that just don't understand postpartum OCD. So I'm really glad to be here kind of talking about it, but that's just a little bit of, of me and my story and uh, you know, my, my healing from postpartum OCD. You really went through a lot. What was it that you said was uh, making you sick during your pregnancy? Um, I had hyperemesis gravidarum. And I might not be saying that right, but uh, HG. Um, and so I was really, really sick all the time. I was nauseous and throwing up constantly. And it was just, it was horrible. Yeah. Oh, man. So that was just something that developed through your pregnancy. Right. Genetically, not a disease, right. not right. an illness. It's just, uh, just happened. Yeah. Okay. So that was hard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> your pregnancy was tough. You're also listening to children share their traumas. You know, I certainly know myself well enough to know I personally couldn't do that day to day. I think I would, I think that would affect me too. Like, I, I'm trying to give you a compliment. I'm very impressed that, <laughs> that you can do that work because it's extremely important. Yeah. And those children are extremely lucky to uh, have you to, to help support them. Um, so thank you. I am very impressed that you could do that anyway, but just on top of being sick and on top of, you know, having your own baby at home that you're worried about. I just can't imagine how that compounded in your mind of, um, you know, worrying thoughts. I for sure thought all kinds of disaster things um, were going to happen to my child. Normally it would like come and go when it was a first, like the first time I had to go back to Mm -hmm. work or the, you know, and, and someone else was looking after my baby. You know, it's one of those things that it's, you know, I think it's hard to, to draw that line and say, well, Okay, that was one intrusive thought, but I like how you were differentiating between uh, an occasional worry versus all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, and it's, it's like I said, it's really common. I think every mom has these thoughts and dad um, have these thoughts. Um, but when it's, when it's getting in the way of your functioning, um, mm-hmm. that's when it starts to be a problem. And, and it was. It was getting in the way of my sleep, um, my well-being, my relationship with, like I said, my husband, my stepson and my friends, um, it was getting in the way of my work. Um, so it was kind of impacting my whole life. And I think that's where the differentiation is between, you know, just normal mom worries and postpartum Mm -hmm. anxiety or postpartum OCD. Mm -hmm. And you said this is common. How common is it? So there's not a ton of research. Um, but from what we can tell some of the research that's been done, um, we're thinking it's around 11% of new moms that have this postpartum OCD. Um, and then moms that have pre-existing OCD, a lot of times they'll see 
like a reoccurrence in the postpartum period. Um, that's really, really common. But yet, I, from what I've read, it's about 11% of new moms, which is, you know, kind of a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is one in yeah. 10. A little yeah. Over one in 10. I mean, <laughs> that's very common. And uh, you said, so if someone already has anxiety or already has OCD, that this is something that could intensify those situations. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's really common for women that already have uh, any kind of pre-existing mental health issue. Um, it's fairly likely that they're going to have kind of a recurrence of symptoms or a worsening of symptoms in the postpartum period um, because of all the, the things that go on in the postpartum uh, period, the hormones and the changes in the relationship and um, lack of sleep and all of that stuff. So um, it kind of makes sense that it's going to make it worse. You know, if you already have something, same with depression, you know, women that already have had depression, they're more at risk to have postpartum depression. Um, and so it's, it's the same. And so in some ways we, that's good that we know that. So women that have had some kind of pre-existing mental health issue or pre-existing OCD, they can maybe be a little bit more prepared, um, to kind of get their supports in place. Um, and I encourage all women that I work with that are pregnant that, you know, to go through their history and um, try to figure out, like, if they're at risk for this afterwards. I know for me, it kind of came out of the blue. Um, like I said, I'm not an anxious person. I've never been diagnosed with OCD or any anxiety disorder. Um, and so it really came out of the blue for me. And that was part of what was kind of really scary for me. Um, I just didn't know what was happening, even as a therapist. Um Although I hear that a lot from other therapists that they uh, they didn't know what was happening, even though they're kind of trained in this. But I guess, you know, we all get our blind spots. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, this is meant to be an area of expertise. And yet there you go. You don't know. Yeah. But isn't that the way we've had um, a number of people come on the show and talk about postpartum depression specifically. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard when you're in that kind of state from what they've described to recognize your own symptoms, to stop and question what's happening. Um, like part of the depression, um, my understanding is that, you, you know, it's hard to reach out for help. It's hard to help yourself. You're so stuck in a, a rut in your own feelings in your own head that understanding what's even happening and having that awareness is really tough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because that's also part of what, you know, mental health does to us. If we have depression or anxiety, it kind of distorts our thinking. Um, and so for me, I, along with the OCD, I had depression as well. And so I had kind of a lower, like, you know, self-esteem and, um, you know, my depression kind of told me that, you know, things were never going to get better and this is just how they were and um, nobody can help you. And so that's kind of what mental health issues do to us is it distorts our thinking. And so we're not necessarily always thinking logically or rationally because um, we're stuck in this kind of emotion mind. Um, and so it is, it's real. That's one of the biggest barriers to people getting help. Um, and there's a lot of barriers. So it's, it's, this is tough stuff. And of course, uh, there's also the way that healthcare system is set up in the U.S. and the way we have, you know, families living all over the country and not necessarily in the same town supporting one another. You know, you have women with the mentality that, all right, I had my baby. I don't have my checkup for weeks and weeks and weeks away. I've just got to survive this on my own yeah. and I'm going to be tough and I'm going to smile and entertain people and, yeah. you know, all of these things that are 
not oriented around helping mom and, and baby, not necessarily <laughs> moms aren't getting their, their 40 days of rest. They're not, you know, our culture doesn't support some of the traditions that we see uh, around the world. Our culture isn't really supporting women to take the time that they need and get the help that they need from their community. So it's like, all right, so you're already set up to fail and that even if you didn't have depression or OCD or anything, it's like you you just have to survive. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guest on the show who said like, oh, you, I'm just a – she thought, she's like, I'm just a pioneer woman. I have to just survive <laughs> through this. And it's like, no, you don't. You can put a lot of things in place to help you get the support yeah. you need, uh, You know, have friends bring you meals, have people help you clean your house. You don't have to do everything. You actually – your job after you have a baby is to heal yeah. your body get the rest that you need and have that bonding time with your baby yeah. um, and take care of yourself. So, you know, this, this mentality of having to survive on top of maybe feeling anxiety, OCD, depression, oh, what a recipe for, for pain for a lot of people. Yeah. So, um, that's really It hard. is. And I think that um, it, it's hard for women to ask, I think, all people, but I think especially for women, it's really hard for us to ask for help because I think we're so conditioned to be the caretakers, right? Like, you know, we take care Mm -hmm. of the kids and, um, you know, we, we help, you know, our family and and we do all these caretaking things. So we're so conditioned to be the ones taking care of other people. It's so hard for us to drop that and to ask for help. And I know I had that experience. I, I didn't ask anyone for help. Um, luckily I, I had a couple people, especially my mom, who was just a blessing to me, um, who I didn't have to ask. She just came over and she brought food again and again and again. She came over and she washed the dishes mm-hmm. and cleaned my house and, mm-hmm. you know, talked with me when I was crying and, she, you know, she, I didn't have to ask her, but I know a lot of people don't have even that, um, and, and so it's hard. And I, I didn't know how to ask for help. I, I had never needed help. Like I needed help in the postpartum period. Um, I've never had any health problems and uh, I've just always been able to do stuff on my own um, and been proud of that. Um, and so it was hard for me to, to need help from, from other people. Um, and I hear that a lot with women um, that they, they don't know how to ask for help. And so, you know, I always encourage moms, to, you know, um, I heard at a training for, through PSI, they talked about the seasons of giving and the seasons of receiving and that we all go through the seasons of needing more help and the seasons of giving more help. And that when you have a baby, you're in the season of needing to receive help. Um, that's just the way it is for everybody and that we should we should be OK with that. And we as a society should really put that message out there. You know, new moms mm-hmm. need help, even if they don't ask, they need help. So go help them. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just in the grocery store today and my daughter, I have a toddler now, but my daughter was kind of tired and hungry and I was trying to give her some grapes and snacks and things, but she wasn't really particularly pleased to be at the <laughs> shop. And the woman from the cheese counter came out from behind the counter and said, hey, let me help you rearrange some things in your basket. And she gave my daughter some cheese samples and kind of talked to her. And I just thought, yeah. wow. That, that was incredible. Like that act of kindness mm-hmm. was so – like in the moment, I was just like, oh, wonderful. Great. Yeah, give her some cheese. Yeah. <laughs> but I reflected on that and I was just like, that was incredible. And just these little things, these micro kindnesses that we can do for each other. It doesn't have to be a stranger, you know, your friends or whomever, but it's really meaningful. Yeah. It's so nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you also said OCD is very 
treatable. Let's talk about that part. So um, let's say someone understands that they have postpartum anxiety, postpartum OCD specifically. Um, what does the what does treatment look like? So, you know, being a therapist, I always say therapy is great. Let's go to therapy. And um, therapy can really there's a lot of therapies that are um, proven really effective for this kind of thing, um, including mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy and some kind of exposure therapy. Um, but the important thing is to find a provider who's trained. Um, and so that's where I think PSI does a really great job of um, helping connect women to trained providers because it is a specialty. Um, and so if you can find a, a therapist who's trained specifically in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders um, and can can do this kind of work, I think that's probably the key. Um, and so I think therapy is really great, especially because, um, you know, Medications can come with all kinds of side effects, but, you know, therapy is, is pretty low risk. It's usually pretty helpful. Um, but <laughs> on the other side, I think that there, there are a lot of medications that are really, really helpful um, and that um, there's a lot of stigma around mental health medications. Um, and I think that gets in the way of a lot of women getting the help that they need. Um, and so I encourage all moms like, you know, you can go talk to a doctor like that's OK. It's okay to need a medication because your your brain chemistry is a little haywire right now. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to take it forever, um, but let's get you some help because there's no reason to be suffering. Um, and, and there's lots of uh, adjunct therapies. I think with any kind of postpartum mental health issue, social support is really, really key. Um, and so a lot of the work that I do with moms is is helping them build that village however they can. Um, so reaching out to family and friends and, and, you know, getting them to come, like I said, do your dishes or bring you food or just hang out with you. Um, there's, there's support groups for moms kind of all over the country, um, for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Um, and they're really great. A lot of hospitals run them. Um, but even just like a regular mom group, if you can find like, you know, other moms that you can connect with and that you can commiserate with and laugh with and that can help you with practical things when you need it. I think that's really, really important. So, you know, therapy, medication if needed, and then I think social support, those three things together are are really, really key to getting mom well. Um, and when we're talking about moms, we're talking about families. So I think it's important always to bring dad or partner into the mix with, with treatment, um, you know, mom, mother-in-law, best friend, whoever, um, because this, this isn't like something's wrong with mom. This is a family issue. And so I think it's really important to do like family therapy and to bring the family into the treatment, um, and have them be a part of the treatment team. Um, so, you know, I think the first step is, is getting connected with somebody, um, which again, I'm going to throw a bunch of plugs out there for a PSI because I just love them. Um, but it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, any mom, dad, caregiver, anybody can call the the helpline and and get start getting connected with some of those services. So, right, and that that phone number is free, mm-hmm. and that phone number I understand is also available uh, yes. in Spanish. Uh, so, you know, just encourage friends to, to use that, uh, and families to check it out. It's the kind of thing to have on your fridge before you have the baby, do your research beforehand. We always say, and, uh, you know, I mean, any time is great, 
But, um, you know, before you have the baby, you tend to have a tiny bit more time yeah. on your hands <laughs> and a tiny bit more yeah. energy. So I always, um, so lining that up. Yeah. I always like good. moms to have, um, half, I tell them like if you can get them when they're pregnant, um, have the numbers ready. Like I, I did that with, um, having a couple mm-hmm. lactation consultants ready. Cause I was planning to breastfeed and did, um, but I, I was, you know, a little nervous about it. And I was like, Luckily, I got some, did some research, some lactation consultants near me, and I had them ready. And I think mom should do that with everything. Have the lactation consultant numbers, have some postpartum doulas, you know, ready, stand by, have the helpline number, um, and you'll be kind of ready to go and do like this kind of pregnancy plan. Um, and you'll be in a much better place because it's hard, like I said, when you're in that place where you're struggling um, to reach out for help. I mean, it's it's hard enough just to try to find a phone number. So, yeah, yeah, completely. It's so much tougher to try to do the research when you just any 10 minutes you have free, man, yeah, you want exactly. to sleep. <laughs> like you're not going to be out in the computer. Yeah, Google absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, I love your, your thoughts there. So the three things, uh, social support and therapy and medication support, if that's what's needed. Yeah, absolutely. That you said. And there's lots of like adjunct okay. things that you can do that can be really helpful. Um, like I said, when I was doing therapy, mindfulness um, and yoga was really important to me. And so there's, there's lots of all kinds of like alternative holistic therapies that people can do. I know there's a lot of research with um, acupuncture. And so whatever mom wants to do, like I support um, you know, and I know a lot of moms have different ideas about what's best for them. And I just think, you know, mom knows what's best for her. And I'm just here to, to, you know, be a mirror and kind of help her, um, figure out what's best for her. So, and you're talking about the body chemistry, the brain chemistry and the hormones of being pregnant and having a baby, all of this stuff is in flux, which can trigger, even if someone hasn't even had any anxiety or OCD previously, this, those, those things can, um, trigger those, that mental health issue. And some of the questions I have are like, is that right? Like, what is the trigger? And then also, you know, presumably after the hormones are sort of rebalanced a period of time after the baby is born, would someone who has postnatal OCD, would that continue for the rest of their lives? Does it disappear? Like, what Yeah. Happens? So um, again, there's, there's not a ton of research being done specifically on or ha- that has been done on postpartum OCD. Um, but for a lot of um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, we find that it really is just around the postpartum period. Um, and so women that have like postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or anything like that, um, usually if it's treated and you get good treatment, um, it doesn't necessarily come up again. For some women, it does. Um, for me, I haven't had any, you know, ex- new experiences of symptoms since I had my daughter and she's, she's four and a half now. Um, and, and I don't think that I will, um, but I'm also ready for it. Like if it, if something were to happen again, so now I know kind of the signs and symptoms. And so that's kind of what I talk with moms when they are at the end of, of treatment and they're feeling a lot better about doing like a safety plan. So if, if these kind of symptoms come up again, what will we do? Who will we call? Um, how can my partner look out for the signs and symptoms if something's happening again? And so I think it's really important to just just be ready. Like it, it could definitely happen again. Um, obviously, if you have more children, that you know could definitely happen again. Um, but you know, our 
with women, you know, our, our hormones are always changing. And so um, there's a lot of research being done on, on menopause and how that affects like our mental health. Um, and so even just thinking, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, if you're having a baby that menopause may be potentially kind of far away, uh, but just something to kind of be aware of and have in the back of your head that these are the potential times when things could pop up, but um, just being ready for them and and having the kind of safety plan of what you're going to do if these symptoms do come up again. What time period are you referring to as the postpartum period? So when I say postpartum period, I I usually mean the first year, um, only because that's kind of the marker for a lot of the mental health issues is that um, in the DSM, you know, the, the diagnostics criterias within the first year after having a baby. Um, so that's what I refer to it as. But I know a lot of people, it's kind of a, it's a fluid thing, I think, um, postpartum, because I mean, even at a year, I think like, like for me, I didn't, I felt postpartum for longer than that, honestly. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I was breastfeeding past then yeah. and, and not sleeping very well past then. So I still very much felt like I had a, a, a very young child and that I was early postpartum, even at you know, a year and a half, two years. I know. Why, why can we not give women their first year off of work? I really don't know. I really, if I could change, well, <laughs> I wouldn't say one thing. If I could change, if I could change 10 things, that would probably oh, yeah. be right. Me up too. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's one of the, the, the worst things, you know, is that, um, so many women are forced to go back to work. Um, and I mean, I, I'm a working mom and I, I love working and the work that I do. Um, but I think it's, we know that it's better for moms and babies for them to to be able to make that choice. And we just, we don't let moms make that choice. And I think that's such a shame. We don't, we don't. And the expectations that we have on women and on babies in terms of their, what their yeah. I mean, children are resilient, right? They just, they are and by design. Yeah. And that's a really good thing. But my goodness, they yeah. sure want to be with their mom. Yeah. They sure want to be. They want to yeah. sure want to have that closeness. Well, what else? So I talked a little bit about the kind of in, intrusive thoughts and this the scary things that happen that moms think about, and mm-hmm. and then so mom. So for some moms, it's it's kind of just the intrusive thoughts, um, but for a lot of moms, that's kind of the compulsive behaviors, also the kind of C of OCD. Um, and so for a lot of moms, they they not only have these scary thoughts, but they do some kind of behavior to make sure that these thoughts don't become a reality. So for a lot of moms that say um, they have thoughts of maybe um, drowning the baby or the baby drowning, um, they'll avoid giving the baby a pass. And if they are afraid that they're going to drop the baby down the stairs, they won't go upstairs at all. And so these moms are, this is where it gets into kind of impairing functioning. Um, these moms are doing all kinds of things to avoid the, the intrusive thoughts coming true. And that can really get in the way of, of mom's functioning, but also in, get in the way of taking care of baby properly. And so, you know, a lot of moms um, have thoughts of, you know, accidentally doing things to the baby. Uh, but some moms even have thoughts of, of them doing things to the baby on purpose. And that's where like a lot of the shame aspect comes in with this, um, because moms tend to think like they have these thoughts like, you know, what if I stabbed the baby? Um, and they're terrified by these thoughts. And they're like, what is happening? And, and a lot of times these moms think like, I'm going crazy. Like these are crazy thoughts, but really it's, it's just postpartum OCD. And it's just like, you know, loving your baby and the anxiety of all that in overdrive and gone a little bit wonky. Um, and so I always tell the moms, you know, 
you're not crazy. You're not going to act on these thoughts. And we can usually tell that because they're so upset by these thoughts. So a lot of moms get scared mm-hmm. that, like I said, they're, they've gone crazy or that they're going to act on these thoughts. But the, the way to kind of distinguish um, between postpartum OCD and something like postpartum psychosis. So a lot of moms, when they have these these kind of scary thoughts, they, they think things like, oh, gosh, I'm going to be Andrea Gates, who drowned her five kids. And, um, you know, what's wrong with me? But there's a there's a really big difference between postpartum OCD and postpartum psychosis. Postpartum psych- women who have postpartum psychosis are out of touch with reality. Um, they don't realize that what they're thinking is wrong um, or out of touch with reality. Um, and that's why they act on them, because they're not living in reality. Uh, but p- women who have postpartum OCD, they're terrified by these thoughts. They're really, really scared. They're what we call e- ego dystonic, which means they are not in line with our sense of self and they're really, really unwanted. Um, so it's it becomes like a really great sigh of relief for women to hear like that what they have is anxiety based and not based in delusion or psychosis and that they're not crazy um, and that they, you know, just have this anxiety disorder and it's normal and common and treatable. So that's one of the biggest scary things that I think happen with women with OCD. So it's, that's why it's really, really important for them to get the help that they need uh, by a trained provider. Um, and I think we have a lot of work to do on training, not only mental health um, clinicians, but also um, medical providers. There was a story, oh gosh, maybe like six months ago now, um, where a mom went into her doctor's office and and told them about some scary thoughts that she had. And instead of getting her the help that she needed and then recognizing that what she had was anxiety, um, they called the cops on her. And I think that's what stops a lot of moms from getting help um, mm. is that they're, they're really afraid that if they speak these thoughts, that they're going to have um, child protective services called or they're going to be, you know, taken off to the psych ward. And so, of course, you're not going to, you know, say those thoughts out loud um, because you're terrified that, you know, your baby's going to be taken from you. And, and that's just not the case um, when you have somebody who knows what they're doing with this kind of stuff. And so um, we have a ton, a ton of work to do um, on training providers, medical providers on what this is. Um, and so... So, yeah, I, I hope that, you know, that I can be a part of that work in the future because um, I think it's really, really important. And I always, you know, have a heavy heart when I hear stories like that. And luckily that mom, you know, they they took her and somebody assessed her and recognized what she had. She got the help that she needed. But um, what, a, what a horrible, horrible situation. Well, yeah, that's awful. I mean, it's hard enough to just like be concerned that you know, your house yeah. isn't clean enough when someone yeah, right? comes over to see your baby for the first time, whatever it is, which by the way, for anyone who's listening, <laughs> you can say no to people and say, I'm not going to have any guests until I'm ready. Like that's actually, think about that. Don't do it. Wait till you're ready. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we have these anxieties about just like being performative and showcasing that we're strong and showcasing that we know what we're doing. Uh, you know, it's not weakness to admit you need help. It's not weakness to to confide in someone and to just make sure you're taking care of yourself. Like it's actually bravery to take care of yourself. It's bravery to um, reach out to someone and have that conversation. So please feel brave, everyone who's listening. (laughs) Okay. So tell me anything else you'd like our audience to know about postpartum OCD. 
So what I really hope moms and, and dads and families can kind of take away from this discussion on postpartum OCD is that it can be, it's a really common disorder, um, really, really treatable as long as you can find, you know, the correct help to get. And so any mom who's out there that's experiencing these really, really scary thoughts, I just want you to know, you know, you're not alone. You didn't do anything wrong and, you know, there's help out there. So, you know, find somebody that you trust and, and tell them, you know, tell them what's going on with you and, and kind of speak this secret out and, uh, we can get you some help. So if you, if you, any moms out there that are having this can call the warm line or the helpline for PSI, um, and get some help. So for listeners, the PSI helpline is 1-800-944-4773. It's free. You can dial an extension to get that in Spanish as well. And so I just want to take the opportunity, Megan, to thank you once again for being such a wonderful guest on our program. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and and for talking on this topic. That's so, so important. And yeah, it was great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. All right. So everyone who's listening, please remember to go on to Fourth Trimester Podcast Sign up for our newsletter, go on Facebook, like our page, please, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye, everybody. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now.